0: This past summer, in our FBU class, we studied about the cults and the world religions. Bill led the class, did a great job there. And uh, we, we learned about the differing cults and world religions and ways to share Christ with those of a different faith. And when we got to the cults, one thing that we learned was that many of the cults, had broken from evangelical institutions and churches and a common characteristic among these types of groups is that they use bits and pieces of the Bible along with other writings to develop their system of belief and to describe who God is and of course because they do this they just take bits and pieces of the Bible and piece them together, these groups have a false view of God. Which should make sense to us, right? Because if you just choose to focus on parts of the Bible and not the whole thing, you are going to have an incomplete, and yes, definitely a false view of Him. That's why it's imperative that we study through all the scriptures and that we interpret scripture with scripture so that we can have a more complete view, a more accurate view of who God is. And that's why we're in the Minor Prophets. These books, they often get overlooked and and neglected, which is a shame because we learn a lot about who God is in this small section of scripture. From these books already, we have learned that God is a just God who hates sin and who is set against those who are set against him. We also learn that he is a gracious and merciful God who demonstrates his great love for us even when we don't deserve it. We learn that God is a sovereign God. We've learned that God is a God of of providence we learn that though he does not cause evil he does allow it and he certainly uses it for his purposes we have learned that god is a missional god right we've learned that he wants to be known and worshipped and followed where he is not known and worshiped and followed we learn all of that and more from this small section of scripture and when you come to the small and obscure book of zephaniah you find that it's no exception in this short book we learn more great and wonderful truths about our god and i'm excited that we're in Zephaniah this morning because my guess is if we went around the room this morning most of you could not give us a synopsis of Zephaniah. Am I right? I mean, just be honest. Many of you have never read it. Some of you have only skimmed it. Some of you are hearing for the first time that Zephaniah is a book in the Bible. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever heard a sermon that you can remember from Zephaniah? Anybody? Well, that's good news for me. I can be confident this morning that for some of you, many of you, this is going to be the greatest sermon you've ever heard from Zephaniah this morning, all right? Good. And another reason why you want to learn and read and study the book of Zephaniah is one day in the future, in glory, there's going to be a guy come up to you named Zephaniah, and he's going to ask you, how'd you like my book? So you've got to be sure that you studied it, right, and know about it. Very important for all of those reasons and more. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Zephaniah. It's in between Habakkuk and Haggai. And as you're turning there, let me give you some background on this book. As we've said already, all 12 of the minor prophet books were written during the divided kingdom period. And there are some written to the northern kingdom of Israel Others were written to the southern kingdom of Judah. And there were some books that were written to both the northern and the southern kingdoms. The book of Zephaniah is believed to be written by the prophet with the name Zephaniah to the Jews in the southern kingdom of Judah. And this book, like Habakkuk that we looked at last week, was written after the northern kingdom fell to Judah. Assyria and before the fall of the southern kingdom to Babylon. Look at it with me. Look at Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 1. We're told this, the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah in the days of Josiah, lots of ayahs is there, right? The son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now, For those of you all who have been with us for most, if not all, this entire series, you know that it is very unusual to get this detailed of a background on one of these minor prophets in this section of Scripture. In other books in this section of Scripture, very little, if anything, is known about the prophet that's writing this book. But here, we get quite a bit of background on Zephaniah. And the reason why, I believe, is because of who he was related to. Notice in the middle of verse 1, we learn that Zephaniah was the great-grandson of the great king Hezekiah. So though Zephaniah is obscure to us today, though he's just one among many of the minor prophets and his book only takes up three chapters of the Bible, he was very well known in his day. He was a member of the royal family. Not only was he a prophet of God, but he was a descendant of this great king, Hezekiah. We also learn that Zephaniah's ministry took place in the southern kingdoms in the day of of another great king, King Josiah king hezekiah and king josiah were two of the greatest kings during this divided kingdom period and zephaniah has links to both of them you know about king josiah right many of you do he was known for his reforming work of the jewish nation josiah was was responsible for turning the nation back to god we're told that he did that which was right In the sight of the Lord, which was not a common thing said about the kings during this period, right? And we're told that he walked in the ways of his father, David. Josiah, he ascended to the throne at a very young age, the early age of eight. And he devoted himself to God. And he made it his life mission to remove idols and idolatrous practices from the nation of Judah and he sought to repair and beautify the temple in Jerusalem. During his reign, Josiah's high priest discovered a a copy of the law, written by God through Moses, and when it was read, Josiah was cut to the core. Remember that? He was deeply Convicted and was concerned with how far his nation had strayed from God. So he gathered the people together and he pushed for them to renew their covenant they had with God. He was a great king. Many believe that Zephaniah's ministry took place just prior to and at the very beginning of King Josiah's reign. And many believe that Zephaniah's ministry also had a very significant impact on this great king, King Josiah. Many believe Josiah's commitment to God is fruit from Zephaniah's ministry along with others. And my prayer for us today is that as we discuss this book as we study the words of Zephaniah here this morning my prayer is that this book would have the same kind of impact on us as a church and as believers this morning I want to draw out several principles for you from Zephaniah that I believe to be the main principles from this book and I have no doubt that if we come to understand these principles and apply them to our lives, we'll be better by far for it. Here's the first principle we learn about God and what he expects from us from the book of Zephaniah. Number one, we learn the Lord is jealous for worship, so give him everything. Mm. It's good, isn't it? The Lord is jealous for worship so give him everything folks like it or not scripture is clear that our god is a jealous god we talked about that a little bit in amos we talked about it a whole lot in nahum and that is zephaniah's focus here in chapter one look at zephaniah 1 4 god says through this prophet i will stretch out my hand against judah and against all the inhabitants of jerusalem now, those of y'all who may have read this book last week or those of you who are following your spiritual growth guide and you're going to read it through this week, you're going to notice right off the bat in this book, beginning in verse 2, God is not happy with his people. I mean, he begins here in verse 2 after giving a few words about the author and the background of this book in verse 2. God says through this prophet Zephaniah, he says, I will utterly sweep away Everything from the face of the earth declares the Lord. I mean, God is upset, isn't He? He is. He is clearly angry here. He has had it with his people. He felt the similar way in Genesis six. You remember that story? Before he wiped out the human race, minus Noah and his family, by flood. You remember that? Listen to what God says in Genesis six, five through seven. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry, God says, that I have made them. God feels a similar way here, folks. Again, listen to what he says through Zephaniah. Look at verses 2 through 3. Chapter 1, he says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Like in Genesis 6, God is angry with man. Once again, he's fed up with his people. Why? Well, we find two reasons in Zephaniah. One, because they have perverted their worship of him. And two is because they have become complacent in their feelings toward him. First notice they've perverted worship of the one true God by worshiping other gods and taking that and blending that together with their worship of The one true God. They were guilty of syncretism. Remember, we talked about this earlier in this series. They were taking these false belief systems and the belief in the one true God and they were blending this together into something that was perverse. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1 again. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests. Along with the priest, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of heaven, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom. So notice what we have here. Zephaniah explains to us that at this time, God's people in Judah, in addition to worshiping God, were also worshiping Baal, and they were worshiping the false god Milcom, also known as Molech. And we also learn in verse 5 that they were worshiping the host of heaven. Or or in, in other translations, it says the starry hosts. They're worshipping the sun and the moon and the stars. They're worshipping these false gods and worshipping these created things along with their creator. As we've said already in this series, the Jews treated the one true God in their day, they treated him as sort of like a catch-all. They wanted to make sure that they had their bases covered. They wanted to make sure that things would go their way. And so they participated in all these different types of worship services. And they worshiped and served many different gods. And they worshiped, created things from nature. And they also threw worship of the one true God into the mix to make sure they had their bases covered. And they thought, no big deal. Their mentality was, we're still making time for God. We've just included him with these other practices as well to just cover our bases. No big deal. Well, God tells them through Zephaniah, this is a huge deal. This is a huge deal. He tells them in verses 2 through 5, I am furious with you and your ways. And and not only am I going to wipe out your false gods and do away with your false worship, but I'm going to set myself against you and I'm going to stretch my hand out against you and I'm going to take you out as well. God makes it very clear here. He is the one and only God, and He does not share His glory with anyone else. God, folks, does not share the stage. He doesn't. He is God alone. He alone is worthy of worship, and this has always been the way. All the way back in Exodus 20, when God's giving us his Big Ten Commandments through Moses, the first thing he says is this. He says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And that phrase, no other gods before me, can literally be translated in my presence. No other gods in my presence. So let me ask you this question. Theology 101, where's God's presence? Everywhere, right? So if he says, No other gods in my presence, there are to be no other gods anywhere. That's what God's saying. God says, there is not room on my stage for me and any false man made God. He says, I do not share the stage with created things. And he shouldn't, should he? Because he's creator. All of the things are created. He is creator. He is the only infinite, all-present, all-knowing, only wise, powerful God of the universe and all other things pale in comparison to him. The Jews in Zephaniah's day had missed this completely. So God is upset with his people because they are taking man-made gods They're taking created things and placing them on the stage with him and worshiping them along with him and they're violating his commands and they're reducing God on down to the level of these flawed and useless idols. Notice also, God is upset because his people have become complacent and indifferent toward him and and this I think is really... The message that we need to hear today, I appreciate how Brent started off the service today. We need to truly make sure that we're not just going through the motions here on Sunday morning. We're drawing near to truly worship. We need to hear this message. The first point definitely applies and we're not to be putting anything else on par with God. But I think more than that, our struggle today is with feelings of complacency and indifference toward God. Look at what Zephaniah says about it here in verse six of chapter one. He says, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Zephaniah is referring to people who started out on the right path, following hard after God, but have become complacent along the way and have gotten to the point where they're no longer seeking God. They're no longer inquiring of him as they should. God makes it clear, folks, that he is jealous for the worship of his people. And he is upset with those who are indifferent and complacent toward him. Look at Verse 12 of chapter 1, at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps. He's going to do a thorough search of Jerusalem and I will punish the men who are what? Complacent, indifferent. So notice here that that God is not only angry with those who worship other gods, but he's also set against those who are indifferent and complacent in their feelings toward him. And folks, this is a huge problem in our world today, especially in our country, right? Do you know one of the most difficult places to minister in the world, to do ministry today, is not in places where people are worshiping other gods and where Christians are being persecuted by other faiths. It's in areas where people are indifferent. In areas where people just don't care. It's the way many are in our world today. This is the way many were in Zephaniah's day. They were indifferent. They were not passionate one way or another. They were just going through the motions. They were lukewarm and apathetic. Zephaniah goes on to say at the end of verse 12, they who are complacent, they are those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Zephaniah says here that the people of this day truly believed with all their heart that God was not all that concerned one way or another about their attitudes and actions toward him. And they believed they could do whatever they wanted to do and not have to suffer, suffer any consequences whatsoever one way or another as long as they were giving lip service to god lord says through zephaniah i am absolutely furious at that mentality that you have and i will punish those of you who are complacent in worship folks god is a jealous god who demands and rightfully deserves our worship therefore we are to give him everything it's what paul's getting at in romans chapter 12 verse 1 when he says this i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god or in view of god's mercy to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship Paul says here, in light of who God is and what he's done for you, you should offer up your lives to him as a living sacrifice. You should give him everything. This is your spiritual worship, Paul says. This is your appropriate response to God. In your spiritual growth guides, you'll notice that I have a challenge for you that I put in there in your Connect cards to put into practice this week. I want you to take time this week to look in the mirror, maybe in the morning when you're starting off your day, just ask yourself this question, what does God require of me? And then I want you to answer this, only everything. What does God require of me? Only everything. Let's practice it. Work with me here, okay? I'm going to ask you, What does God require of you? And I want you to respond with only everything, okay? What does God require of you, church? Only everything. God wants all of you or nothing at all. He is jealous for all our worship. And he will not share his stage with anyone or anything else. So the first principle we learn about God and what He expects of us is we learn that God is a jealous God. He is jealous for our attention. He's jealous for our worship. Therefore, we should give Him everything. Here's the second principle we learn from Zephaniah about our God and what He expects of us. Second, we learn this. Judgment is coming, so respond to God's warnings. Judgment is coming, so respond to God's warnings. This teaching of judgment is a central theme in Zephaniah. The phrase, the day of the Lord, which is another way of referring to God's judgment, is used seven times in this book alone. Seven times in three chapters. This is a key theme in Zephaniah, but not only in Zephaniah, right? This theme is seen all throughout God's word and especially in this small section of scripture this minor prophet section of scripture now let me ask you this what is this day going to be like the day of the lord you know many of us today when we hear that phrase day of the lord we think of something that's joyous and wonderful right many of you are looking forward to that day when christ returns but listen to how zephaniah describes this day he says in chapter 1 verse 14 the great day of the Lord is near near and hastening fast the sound of the day of the Lord is bitter the mighty man cries aloud there a day of wrath is that day a day of distress and anguish a day of ruin and devastation a day of darkness and gloom a day of clouds and thick darkness now I don't know about you but that sure doesn't sound joyous and wonderful to me does it Sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? Here's here's Zephaniah's message. He's telling the people of his day that this day of judgment is coming. And when it comes, for many, it's going to be a day of distress, a day of anguish, a day of ruin and devastation. It's going to be a terrible day for some. Now, many have asked this question, what day is Zephaniah referring to here when he talks about the day of the Lord? Has it happened yet or has it not? Has this prophecy been fulfilled yet or not? And the answer is yes and no. Okay? Not too long after Zephaniah preached this message, Judah fell at the hands of the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And we know that God was behind that, right? That was the day of God's judgment there. But in another sense, this prophecy is also pointing forward to a future day that you and I have yet to experience. A future day when Christ returns and when there's going to be this final judgment. And though this day will be wonderful and joyous for us believers, it'll be a terrible and dreadful day for others. Scripture clearly teaches this. And again, you find this all throughout the scripture. This message of judgment is taught all throughout the scripture. It's been taught all throughout the history of the church. But in recent years, many have shied away from this message. You, You don't hardly hear the message of judgment anymore in our churches, do you? Let me ask you this. Why is that? What has changed? Here's what I think. I think... Our view of God has changed. Many view God today as this lovable, huggable teddy bear who's not all that upset with sin, just overlooks things like like this old grandpa who gives you $5 no matter if you're good or bad. It's the way many people think. He loves us no matter what, and he's just going to overlook our sin and just sweep it under the rug in the end. There are many with that view today. Many had that view in Zephaniah's day. They were saying, remember in verse 12 of chapter 1, the Lord will not do good nor will he do ill. He won't do anything to us. Many think along those lines today. They think God doesn't care, He's not going to do anything to us. Folks, you do not see that picture of God in the scriptures. Though he is a God of grace and mercy and love, he is also a righteous and just and wrathful God who hates sin and who is set against sinners. And Many of you are saying, oh, Graham, you're in the Old Testament. You get up to the New Testament, right? Well, remember when we were in Ephesians? remember what paul said in ephesians 2 he said that non-believers unrepentant unregenerate sinners have the wrath of god set against them learn that here folks in the word of god all throughout his word and it's imperative for us that we search the scriptures to learn about who god is that is so very key you're a lot of messages out there about who he is it's imperative that we come here and the answer we find here is the answer that we must embrace like it or not whether you have trouble with it or not the answer you receive here is the answer you must embrace it's the answer you must receive and again we learn all throughout the word of god god is a god of mercy and grace and love but also a righteous and wrathful god he's a god of judgment and his judgment and his wrath against sin, get this, it's as certain as his grace and his mercy and his love. Like it or not, that's biblical. Therefore, because this is true, because this is what God is like, because there is this final day of judgment coming, how should we respond? Here's how. We should respond to this message by responding to God. Look at Zephaniah 2 verse 1. Remember that Zephaniah has just gotten through telling his people that the day of the Lord is coming and that the day is going to be a great and terrible day of judgment. And then he tells them in chapter 2 verse 1, he says, Gather together, yes gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff. Before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord. Before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Folks, I want you to notice something here. This is so very important. We find a principle here, a message here that we see all throughout the scriptures. We learn here that though judgment is certain, grace is possible. Though judgment is coming, grace is available. Folks, like it or not, scripture is clear. Judgment is coming. But we also learn here and elsewhere that that grace is possible. Now, many in our day believe and teach the exact opposite many believe and teach in our day that judgment is possible for some but grace is certain for most isn't that true many believe well there may be a final day of judgment for those really 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 bad people but regardless i'm going to be just fine surely i'm going to be fine Scripture teaches the opposite. What we learn throughout God's Word, and especially in this section of Scripture, is that God's judgment is coming. Therefore, we got to be ready. And we got to respond to God accordingly. You know, there are all kinds of warning signs that we encounter in this life, right? You have road signs that are posted to keep us and others safe on the road. You have warning signs that come with, with certain products, that we buy at the store, at times when the weather gets bad on TV, warnings come up on the TV screen, right? And when this happens, at times, the weatherman will come on TV and he'll tell us a tornado or something like that is getting close and and that we need to take shelter. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you, when you hear that weatherman come on, get angry at him? Say, how dare him scare us like that? Talk about a coming tornado. Any y'all do that? Get angry with him? No. What do you do? You, You take the warning to heart, right? And you take shelter, hopefully. God makes it clear in his word. This is who I am. I am a just God. I am a God of wrath and judgment, and I will by no means clear the guilty. You can take that to the bank. My judgment is coming. Therefore, you need to get ready. You need to prepare yourself. Here's a third principle we learned from Zephaniah about God, what he expects from us. The third thing we learn is that God's judgment is based upon his standard. So look to his word to know where you stand. In this book, we learn that though God is going to judge the surrounding nations, We also learn that he has set against his own people. He's going to judge and punish them as well. Now, let me tell you, that was shocking for many of them to hear, right? They were shocked by that. Many of the Jews at this time, they thought they were good. They thought, you know, we're God's chosen people. They thought we may not be perfect, but we're God's people. We're not like the nations that surround us. At least we take time to worship God. Now, we may worship the sun, the moon, and the stars too and throw that in the mix, but we're worshiping God. If anybody's good with God, it must be us. Surely, we're going to be spared on that day of the Lord. God says very clearly through his prophet Zephaniah, no, you won't, not on your own. Though you think you're okay, Your standards are not my standards. And you don't get to decide who's safe and who isn't. I do, and I judge based upon my standards, not yours. And folks, once again, we find this not just in Zephaniah, but we find this teaching all throughout the Scripture. Scripture is clear that God's judgment is coming and the basis the criteria by which he judges is not based upon what we think is right and fair but it's based upon his own personal criteria and standard and because that is true we need to be very very cautious in the way in which we evaluate ourselves we don't get to go by what we think or what the world thinks We don't get to size ourselves up next to others Can't do it like that We got to search god's word to know where we stand and what we learn from god's word is that god's standard for us Is out of our reach It's out of our grasp His standard for us is for us to be perfectly holy Perfectly righteous and we fail to measure up in any and every way to that standard So what are we to do? What are we to do? God has set this standard for us that's out of our grasp. That's way too high for us to grasp. What are we to do? Look at Zephaniah 3.12. God says through Zephaniah, But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Notice here, God makes mention of a people who will be spared in the day of judgment. God says those who are spared from my judgment are the humble and the lowly. Those who realize they don't measure up. Those who understand they've fallen short. Those who know their sinfulness and their need and those who seek refuge where? In the Lord. In the Lord. God makes it clear here. Salvation is not found in pedigree. It's not found in religious devotion. It's not found in being better than some. It's found in the Lord. Though God has this perfect standard that's out of our reach, Scripture is clear that God has provided for us what He requires of us. That's what makes the gospel good news. How has He done this? He's provided us with His Son, He sent his son to live for us and die for us and to be raised for us so that we, through him, through Jesus, could be forgiven of sin and brought back into a right relationship with God. And at the end of this book, it's so wonderful, folks. God, through his prophet, tells of this coming day when he is going to send his son, Jesus. As we've said many times throughout this series, these books, they focus heavily on, On God's wrath and judgment. As we said, the day of the Lord is mentioned seven times in these three chapters alone. Focus a lot on God being a God of of justice and a God of wrath. But we also learn in these books that God is a God of mercy and grace. And we see that here in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Notice the promise God makes here to His people. He says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shadow Israel rejoice and exalt with all your heart O daughter of Jerusalem the Lord has taken away the judgments against you isn't that awesome he has cleared away your enemies the king of Israel who's that who's the king of Israel folks that's Jesus right there he says the king of Israel the Lord is in your midst you shall never again fear evil on that day it shall be said to Jerusalem Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Wow. Though so God clearly tells us in his word that we have fallen short of his perfect standard, we deserve God's wrath and his judgment. He has provided a way for us when there seemed to be no way. He has sent his son To us, the King of Israel, Emmanuel, God with us, God in our midst, a mighty one who will save, King Jesus. You can be spared today of God's judgment. if You will see your sinfulness and your need of a Savior and look to and trust in this mighty one, the Lord Jesus, who's mighty to save.